0: This morning we consider Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism on uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. In connection with that, we're going to read this morning out of John 14. John 14 What I'd like to do is read the first uh, 6 verses. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 15 and read then to the end of the chapter. So John 14, Jesus is speaking here to his disciples and thus to the church yet today. We read there, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. And now if we jump down to verse 15. Jesus continues there. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord... How is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto, my fa- unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise. Let us go hence. And thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20, which you can find on or near page 12 in the back of your Psalter. Lord's Day 20. The Catechism asks, What dost thou believe concerning the Holy Ghost? First, that he is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that he has also given me to make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all his benefits, that he may comfort me and abide with me forever. As we turn our attention to Lord's Day 20 this morning, we remember that this is a transition Lord's Day in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a transition Lord's Day because you have been following the articles of the Apostles' Creed, and you have been looking in the past Lord's Days at who Jesus Christ is and then also considering His work and That would take us back all the way to Lord's Day 11. And you looked at the names of our Savior because those names reveal who he is. And then after looking at his names, you've been looking at the work of our Savior Jesus Christ. And of course, that's of extreme importance. The very heart of the gospel is the work of Jesus Christ. But now following the Apostles' Creed... We transition now this morning to the work of the Holy Spirit, not only confessing who he is, but also what he does. And in the coming Lord's days, till we come to the very end of the articles of the Apostles' Creed, we will be looking at, you will be looking at, the blessings that the Holy Spirit gives to his church. But this morning as we look at the Holy Spirit, we're going to focus on especially some of the verses in John 14 that speak of the Holy Spirit. And here in the introduction to the sermon, I want to give the context of that passage. Jesus in John 14 is speaking to his disciples in the upper room. It's part of what is called the upper room discourse. In John 13, we read of Jesus being in the upper room with his disciples, and there's the history, and kids, you'll remember this history as well. It's the history when Jesus washes his disciples' feet and then uses that to teach his disciples what they are to do in their lives and in their ministry, and thus gives instruction to us as well. But Jesus also had been teaching his disciples... That he's going away he's soon going to be leaving them they've been following him for roughly three three and a half years and now Jesus says I'm leaving and his disciples are afraid and that's why Jesus says what he does at the very beginning of John 14 let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. So Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Their hearts were troubled right now at the thought of continuing in their work and ministry without the presence of Jesus Christ. And so is there afraid of what is before them and afraid that Jesus won't be with them anymore. Jesus speaks to them to comfort them and assure them that even though he's leaving, that does not mean they will be alone. But he's sending another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would be with them. And that's verses 16 and 17 especially. But it's interesting Throughout John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus constantly comes back with his disciples to the assurance of the coming of the Holy Spirit who would comfort them and teach them and give them all that they needed. Now, one of the things that especially stands out as we look at the Holy Spirit this morning is that he is identified by Jesus as a teacher how often have we thought of the Holy Spirit as a teacher we often think of the Holy Spirit as the sanctifier and he is that and we know that he's called the other another comforter he is that as well but he's also a teacher and this morning we're going to see that that he is a teacher who is a gift from God, and the teacher who comes is not just like a teacher at school who gives us facts, but he's a teacher who comes to comfort our hearts. So those are the three things that we want to see about the Holy Spirit this morning as we look at him. So our theme this morning is the Spirit of Christ. And that's what we're focused on the Spirit of Christ who has been given to the church. We notice first the gift, Secondly, the teacher, and then thirdly, the comforter. So the gift, the teacher, the comforter. God has given to you and me an amazing gift in the Holy Spirit. He's given this gift to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever she is. And that's what Jesus is saying in John 14, verse 16 and 17, He's saying, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So Jesus is saying to the church, there's a gift that will be given to you. Now they had it in part already but they would have it more fully the Holy Spirit. And we can put it this way. This is the gift of God through Jesus Christ to the church. So it's a gift of God. He's the source. God is the source. It comes through Jesus Christ and it's given to the church. We can add to that and put that together when we understand what happened when our Savior ascended into heavenly glory. When he ascended into heavenly glory to be exalted there at God's right hand, that position of glory and majesty and rule, our Savior Jesus Christ was given the Holy Spirit, and he was given the Holy Spirit so that he could pour out that Holy Spirit upon the church. And that's what we know happened at Pentecost. Now, that doesn't mean the the church and God's people in the Old Testament or before this didn't have the Holy Spirit, but they had more like a drip of the Holy Spirit. If you were to think of a faucet, that's dripping. A drip of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, The Spirit was poured out. So you think of that faucet being turned on full strength and coming out. So there's a greater measure of the gift of the Holy Spirit that was given at that time. But it's an ongoing gift to the church. It wasn't just at that one time, but still today we have this gift of the Holy Spirit. So we might ask when it comes to this gift, how is this gift given? How does the giving of this gift take place? Does it happen in this way? That the Holy Spirit comes knocking at the door of our hearts, wanting to come in, but he waits to come in until we allow him to come in. Of course, we know enough of Reformed theology to say, no, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. There are those who would teach that, but the Holy Spirit is not given in that way. A a gift given so that we have to to take it and allow that gift of the Holy Spirit to work. We don't have that kind of power. We don't have the power to keep the Spirit out or to let Him in. We don't have the power to bar the door of our hearts from the work of the Holy Spirit so that He can't work until we finally let Him work in us. Now the work of the Spirit is irresistible. Now, that doesn't mean we don't resist. We do. We do resist the Holy Spirit. Acts 7, verse 51 speaks of that. When Paul there, I'm sorry, Stephan there is preaching and he says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. So there is a resisting of the Holy Spirit that is found in us. It was found in those of that day when they would not hear the preaching about Jesus and that they had put Jesus to death and in doing so, had sinned greatly against God. There is this resisting, but it's not a resisting that presents some kind of insurmountable obstacle. But instead, the Holy Spirit comes to dead, rebellious hearts and overcomes the resistance of our hearts. One of the places where we read of that more fully is in the canons of Dort and Heads 3 and 4, Articles 11 and 12. I'm I'm not going to take the time to read those articles. They're lengthy articles. But if you have some time this afternoon, read those articles of the canons. Heads 3 and 4, Articles 11 and 12. But this is what those articles say about the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he is to us a supernatural work. A powerful, delightful, astonishing, mysterious, and ineffable work. Ineffable means unexplainable work. He comes into hearts that resist him, and his work is so powerful that he gives us wills that stop resisting so that we follow, so that we listen, so that we hear He makes what is hard soft. He makes what is dead alive without our aid and without our help. So this helps us to understand this gift of the Holy Spirit. The second question we might have when it comes to this gift of the Holy Spirit is, when do we receive this gift of the Holy Spirit? Now here I'm talking individually, and and it can be different when it is that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that changes our hearts. For many of us who have grown up within the church, we would say, I look back in my life and I can never remember a time when the Holy Spirit was not working in my heart and in my life. So that we would say that when it comes to regeneration and when we were regenerated, I was regenerated as an infant. I was regenerated as a child. There's there's no time that I can go back to and say, well, there was this great event and a great change that took place in my life. We've always experienced the work of the Holy Spirit. And we should be thankful for that gift of the Holy Spirit throughout our lives. But there may be others who have grown up in the church who would say, I didn't always have that work of the Spirit. When I was young, I was rebellious, I was stubborn, even though I heard the preaching of the gospel, but a great change was worked in me, and the Holy Spirit worked that change in me. And that can be true for some, even who uh, grow up in the church, maybe there are others who didn't grow up in the church, and they didn't hear the preaching, but yet later in life, the Holy Spirit came in and softened their hard hearts and changed their wills And then sometimes there are still those within the church who are resisting. And they don't want to hear the gospel. They really don't. And they walk in sin. They're maybe putting on a good appearance while here, but in their hearts there's no fear of God and no hunger of God. And what they need is the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit who works, and he works powerfully. But what is the gift that the Holy Spirit brings to us? The Heidelberg Catechism identifies that work of the Spirit and that gift that the Spirit gives to us. It says in answer 53, and you'll notice I'm not focusing on the first part of the answer, not because it's unimportant, but because normally that's focused on when we hear the doctrine of the Trinity, So I'm not talking so much about the Spirit as true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son, but I'm focused on the second part. Secondly, that he has also given me to make me, by a true faith, partaker of Christ and all his benefits. This is what the Holy Spirit brings to us. He brings to us Christ and all the blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. Now we might ask, how does the Holy Spirit do this? Well, the Holy Spirit in giving a gift is not like a UPS driver or not like the mailman or not like that, the Amazon trucks that you see all over the place delivering packages. The Holy Spirit is not one who simply delivers a, a package. But the Holy Spirit in His work unites us to Christ so that we are partakers of Him. So this takes us back to all that we've been looking about at uh, uh, when we've looked at the work of Jesus Christ. And we've been looking at what Jesus Christ has done for us by His death, by His resurrection, by His ascension into heaven. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes what Christ has earned for us And he is the one who brings that and applies it to our hearts and to our lives. He unites us to Christ. That, in fact, takes us all the way back to Lord's Day 7, where we looked at what true faith is. And we understand that the activity of faith is a certain knowledge and assured confidence, but remember as well that faith is a bond, a living bond that unites us to Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks of that in John 15. He is the vine. We are the branches. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes us, who are dead branches, unites us to Christ so that we become living branches in Him. It's the Holy Spirit who does this. He is the one who makes us, by a true faith, a partaker of Christ and all His benefits. And the Holy Spirit, when He does that, it's not just that He does that and we don't know it. But when the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus Christ, we know that we are united to Jesus Christ. He works in such a way that we come to the awareness of that through the preaching of the gospel. When the Holy Spirit brings to us that gift then of uniting us to Jesus Christ, it changes everything. When the Holy Spirit lives within us, He influences every part of our life and our experience. Just like Your lives would be radically changed if your heart would stop pumping right now and not bring blood, life-giving blood, to all the different parts of your body. You would be changed drastically. But if that heart then would start pumping again, well, then that would change what you're doing outwardly. You would perk up and and you would be revived. So also the Holy Spirit, He changes us spiritually. Spiritually. He shapes our minds and our heart. We have a knowledge that changes our viewpoint of everything. When we know God and we know His love in Jesus Christ, it changes everything. And when He's working in our hearts, we now now have a bent towards God. We want to serve Him. We want to love Him. We want to walk in His ways. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, there's no desire on our parts to do this. The Holy Spirit shapes our thinking and our desires. He, he brings our thoughts captive to Christ. He brings our hearts captive to the word of Jesus Christ. So that's the glorious gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit working in us to unite us to Christ, which changes everything. Now we want to see that this gift that Jesus identifies in John 14 This gift of the Holy Spirit is that he is a teacher. Jesus says that in verses 25 and 26 of John 14. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Jesus is saying to the disciples that they needed another teacher. They needed a teacher besides himself. And the question is, why? Why did the disciples and now why does the church yet today need another teacher besides Jesus Christ? Why do we need the Holy Spirit to teach us? Well, Jesus here is identifying a need that you and I have. We have the same need as the disciples of Jesus at that time. The need that we have is deliverance from spiritual confusion. We need deliverance from the way in which sin distorts our thinking And our lives. And that's what sin does. It distorts. So that we don't see things as we ought to see. Another way to put that is sin is a blindfold for us. And the Holy Spirit is the gift, the teacher, who takes away that blindfold of our sin. Understand, that was the problem for Jesus' disciples at this time and ongoing the problem for the disciples was not a deficiency in jesus ministry they didn't need another teacher because the first teacher wasn't good enough that's not the idea now sometimes that can be the case and i know that as one who teaches myself teaching in catechism or teaching here from the pulpit as well. That's an aspect of what I do as a pastor. I teach. And sometimes people don't understand what I'm saying because I'm not clear in what I'm conveying to them. Sometimes children might leave catechism because I've not been or confused because I'm not clear in what I have been saying. That was not the case for Jesus' disciples. It wasn't that Jesus lacked clarity in what he said. The problem was the disciples still had blindness and therefore confusion that was found in them. That's striking when you think about it. Because at this point, where we're reading Jesus teaching his disciples, Jesus and the disciples had been together almost nonstop for over three years. This was their seminary training in preparation for being sent out to the nations of the world. But there was still much that they were confused about and they simply didn't understand. If we go back to John 13, that becomes very clear. Becomes clear when Jesus enters that upper room, and none of the disciples had gotten down on their hands and knees to wash the feet of the other disciples. And Jesus must do it. And then Peter objects, you'll remember No, not my feet, not my feet. Your master, your Lord, you shouldn't be washing my feet or our feet. But Jesus uses that to teach them I've come to serve. And in the end, I've come to serve by dying for your sins on the cross. But then later in John 13, Jesus speaks about his suffering and his death. And again, through Peter, the disciples object. No, 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 that shall not be. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows the next morning. No, that won't happen. That's Peter's thinking. But all of that tells us that Peter and the disciples were still confused about why Jesus had come. They're still thinking earthly kingdom instead of spiritual kingdom. They're objecting to suffering. No, it can't be suffering. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember what Peter does. He takes a sword out and he cuts off the ear of Malchus to defend His Savior, they still don't understand. But Jesus had taught them clearly. What explains their confusion? What explains their confusion is sin. Beloved, let's not forget that about sin. Sin blinds and it confuses. And they needed that blindfold of sin to be taken away from them. And that's what Jesus is saying you need this other teacher to work in you to take away this blindfold of sin. Jesus is teaching his disciples that they need the Holy Spirit to teach them. And so he comforts them by saying, as you go out and you do your work in ministry, I'm going to send you another teacher and that teacher will show you the things that you need to know so that you can carry on in your work and just think how changed the disciples were when the holy spirit was poured out on pentecost and then they're preaching they're preaching truth they're doing so boldly unashamedly they're willing to go to prison for it and go through any suffering in the name of jesus christ the pouring out of this teacher changed everything May we see and understand that we need this same work of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit who is a teacher. Because you and I all have spiritual blind spots and there are spiritual distortions as well. We understand blind spots, although anymore today in newer cars, you have a little light on the mirror that will uh, tell you if a car is in your blind spot. But we understand what blind spots are areas that we can't see, where we're blind to them. We all have them. Blind spots where we don't see sin in our lives, oh, we might see it in someone else. As clearly as the sun when it's in the sky during the day, but we're blind to it in ourselves. We distort things. That can happen, for example, when we go through a time of suffering in our lives. And and we might think, just like some of God's people thought as it's recorded in the Scriptures, why do I have to go through a time of suffering? I I belong to Christ. I, I, I know I'm a child of God. I shouldn't have to go through this. And we fail to see the good that God does through the suffering that we go through in our lives. And all we want, all we want then is to be delivered from suffering in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to show us our spiritual blind spots. We need the Holy Spirit to show us where there's sin in us, in our hearts, and in our minds where we don't yet see it. We need the Holy Spirit to correct the distortions of God that we have in our own minds. Part of this, beloved, is what delivers us from any spiritual pride that we may have. We can be thankful for truth that God has revealed to us, and we can be and ought to be very thankful for the heritage that is ours. But I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, we're going to see things that we didn't see as clearly as we thought we saw them. Because we all have these distortions. And we easily do it as we live our lives each and every day. But the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us here in his word that he gives to us this teacher that we need. He's he's an unseen counselor and teacher that lives in our hearts He is the one who takes the word that we hear and convicts our hearts. He is the one who takes the word that we hear and changes us. He's the one who takes the word that we hear so that we see things correctly. He's the one who takes the word that we hear and changes the way in which we live our lives. We need this teacher. But as we look at the Holy Spirit who is our teacher... There's another question that arises then. What does the Holy Spirit teach us? This is an important question in our day because there is the thinking in our day that the Holy Spirit teaches new things. But the Holy Spirit does not teach brand new things. The Holy Spirit is the teacher of the things that are already revealed, the things that are found in the holy scriptures jesus is saying here in john 14 that he teaches you all things what are these all things well jesus is not saying something brand new that you've never seen or heard before but he's saying he's going to bring you the things that you have heard before but he's going to give you eyes to see them better That's evident from the fact that he puts with this, this teaching, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So it's not just he's going to teach all things, but the all things is described with the words that come next here in John 14. You're going to remember things. Remember things that you have heard before. This tells us then that the work of the Holy Spirit is that kind of work. It's a work in which he's teaching us by helping us to remember and see clearly the things of the gospel that we have been taught. Again, I say that's very important in our day because there are those who think that the work of the Holy Spirit is to teach brand new things. And of course, we're familiar with those who are influenced by uh, the Pentecostal movement or uh, charismaticism that says that the Holy Spirit comes and gives direct revelation. And there are those who are enamored with these things and expect that the Holy Spirit brings new things. And that's what you find in some of the church world in our day. Not all of it, but some of it. You find an excitement for new things, so that there's an excitement for doing church in a new way, and there's this excitement for teachings that are new and that they haven't heard before, and new discoveries that have come up within the church. And then you have these teachers, these leaders who are coming and saying, I have a a new way of seeing things, and people are enamored with that if you have ever any if you ever have anybody who comes in this pulpit and says i've some brand new things for you you've never heard before at the very least it's a red flag because the holy spirit himself does not come to teach us brand new things that we have never heard before but he comes to teach the old paths jeremiah speaks of that the old paths And so we need the old paths as well. We need the old paths of the truth of the Trinity. We need the old paths of the truth of God's covenant. Yes, there's development in doctrine, a greater and deeper understanding of things, but even in that, we have to be careful. It's always interesting. John Calvin constantly warned the church in his writings, don't go beyond doctrine what god has said in his word and so often we want to go beyond because we want to know more the holy spirit does not come to bring us more than what's found here he comes to give us understanding of this remembrance of this yes there's development and growth in our knowledge and understanding of things as we study the word of god but that's very different than something brand new the Holy Spirit comes and causes us to remember the old, old story of Jesus and his love and his saving work on the cross and the powerful work of the Spirit to change lives. So that's very important for me as a pastor, as I bring the word. I'm not called to bring something brand new. I'm called to bring the old ways, the old paths, and set them before you the way in which God saves by his sovereign grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to hear those things and be strengthened by those things and renewed by those things. The the verses here also say something else that we don't want to miss about the Spirit's work. And that is that the Spirit, the focus of the Spirit's teaching is Jesus Christ himself. Says that in John 14, whatsoever I have said unto you, that's what the, te- the Spirit teaches, whatsoever I have said unto you. And then in connection with that, John 15, Jesus says that there, when the Comforters come, whom I will send you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. And then John 16, 12 through 14, Jesus says something similar. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit in his work is always pointing us to Jesus Christ. That's where the charismatic movement and Pentecostalism has gotten it all wrong. They're focused on the Spirit himself. And Jesus says the work of the Spirit is not about himself and elevating himself. It's always about pointing the people of God to Jesus Christ. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. And this is why we understand the Holy Spirit and his work in connection to Jesus Christ and His work. Our Savior Jesus Christ teaches. He taught His disciples. He teaches us in the Scriptures. He teaches us in the preaching of the Gospel. But in order to understand, and in order for us to believe, and in order for us to live out of this, we need the Holy Spirit to take away the blindfold of sin, to take away all the distortions so that we would see things clearly, so that we would see Jesus clearly without that distortion of sin. And that's why it should be that we pray for that ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, not only before we come to worship and hear the preaching, but in our very lives so that we would live out of that truth of Jesus. But this teacher is not only one who comes to take away the blindfold of sin so that we see things clearly, he does that for our comfort. The Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus to comfort us. We read that in John 14 and verses 16 and 26. That word comforter is a beautiful New Testament word. The idea of the word literally is to come alongside so you can think of maybe parents one of your children who's distraught afraid weeping and you come alongside that child and maybe you hug that child or you put your arm around that child you come alongside to comfort them that's the idea of that word jesus christ in his earthly ministry came here to come alongside of us for our hope and comfort by dying on the cross for our sins but he sent also the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only to come alongside of us, but to live within us so that we as the people of God would be comforted by him. He is our invisible counselor and helper and advocate. By giving the Holy Spirit this name, Jesus is saying then that this is the main work of the Spirit, He's a teacher, but he's a teacher who comes to comfort. He's not simply a teacher to bring facts. He's a teacher who comes to comfort. The first comforter for us is Jesus Christ, and He is our only comfort in life and in death. I think it brings us right back to the beginning of the Heidelberg Catechism, doesn't it? Our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit, He works in us to bring us the comfort of belonging to Him. That's where we look at the catechism again. That's what it sets before us. He has given me to make me by true faith, partaker of Christ and all His benefits. That, The purpose of that is that he may comfort me and abide with me forever. The Holy Spirit comforts us by assuring us in this life and for all eternity that we have comfort in Jesus Christ. And what a comfort he brings to us. You think about the promises of the word of God. Romans 8. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. The Holy Spirit, when He works, He assures us of that. He gives us the assurance of our justification, justification by faith alone, that I know the declaration of God upon me is forgiven and righteous. It's the Holy Spirit who comforts me in that knowledge. He comforts us in all of our troubles and afflictions with the peace that passes all understanding. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of love, is a spirit who works peace within us, the knowledge of peace with God. He assures us that God is a God who is so good, he never withholds any good thing from his people. That's the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings to us in Jesus Christ. And he abides with us forever. Forever. That means that the work of the Holy Spirit is not only irresistible, as we said earlier on in the sermon, but his work is irreversible. It may be true for us in our lives that we lose a sense of God's favor for a time. And we even lose a sense of the Spirit's work within us for a time. The canon speaks of that. But that doesn't mean that God takes His Spirit from us. We lose the sense of it. But thankfully, God is a God who never gives a gift and then takes it back. He's a God who gives a gift and sees it through to the very end. And that's the confidence that we have in this work of the Spirit. He's not only an invisible comforter he's the comforter that is with us forever forever so we go back to jesus words don't live in fear there are a lot of things to be afraid of in this world today and it's not just what goes on out in the world it's something at times the very things that happen within the church but let's hear the promise of jesus He sends the comforter, and he will not remove his comforter. This comforter who is our teacher, this comforter who is a gift from God, this itself is a promise of the Lord Jesus Christ to hold on to. So may we hold on to it in the times of fear and sorrow and struggle. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for thy word. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit, the gift of thee, our God, through Jesus Christ, the one who is given to teach us, and he comes as well to comfort us. So may our souls be taught and comforted today in the powerful work of the Spirit. And may that Spirit continue to abide in us until we are taken to our heavenly home. And even there, may we still experience the glory and the beauty of God the fellowship we have with thee through Jesus Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.